WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 270. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG headquarters building in a North Atlanta suburb. In this episode, a California man sentenced to prison for piloting private jets without a type rating. Two pilots lose their lives when their short 330 crashes at Charleston, West Virginia, and China's C919 makes its maiden flight more news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 270 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. This is an aviation podcast. I'm your host, a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. And normally, this is where I introduce the uh, co-hosts or co-pilots for the show. But today, no, sadly, I'm by myself. This is the way I used to do the show, by myself. And last couple of years, I've had the APG crew to help me along give different perspectives and uh, just have uh, a lot of fun just uh, gabbing talking aviation and other things but uh, now here we are back uh, the way that I used to do it uh, old school uh, solo and uh, I have to be honest with you it does feel a little bit different it feels a little odd but uh, anywho uh, this is uh, a show where it's uh, it's not very professional. We don't take ourselves very seriously, or I don't take myself seriously at all. I'm just here to talk about aviation, to give my views on various uh, things happening in the aviation news, and also uh, trying to help out with uh, answering some of your feedback, giving advice, and that kind of thing. And uh, before we move on, I think it's very important that we should uh, make note of the fact that I'm recording this on the 5th of May, 2017, and we in the United States and uh, also some parts of Mexico celebrate this day as the Cinco de Mayo. Get your margaritas, your tequila, your Coronas. Cinco de Mayo is holiday time. We honor the culture of Mexico. Cinco de Mayo is holiday time To a fiesta we'll go, go, go La, 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 la Go, go, go La, 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 la Oh, I guess I don't know that song very well <laughs> Okay, so Cinco de Mayo the, uh, Where, as it said in the song uh, The uh, parts of the United States and well, all of the United States and Mexico. It's kind of like, um, St. Patrick's day here in the U S <laughs> uh, not too many people here are Irish, but we like to think of ourselves as Irish on St. Patrick's day every year. And we go out and, uh, drink lots and lots of, um, alcohol and beer spirits, that kind of thing, make fools of ourselves. Uh, I guess it's sort of the same thing with the, uh, Cinco de Mayo. We now all consider ourselves Mexican and, uh, specifically from the, uh, Pueblo 
Puebla, excuse me, Puebla area of Mexico. And uh, let's see, on this day, uh, the Mexican army's unlikely victory over French forces took place at the Battle of Puebla on May 5th, 1862, 155 years ago. In the United States, Cinco de Mayo has grown in popularity and evolved into a celebration of Mexican culture and heritage. So there you go. I'm doing my part, and I'm glad that uh, you're all able to celebrate with me. Okay. So let's move on to what's been happening. We don't have to hear from, well, first of all, I should say that uh, Dr. Steph is, she may may actually be listening to us right now. I think her flight departs Charlotte at six o'clock. So she's probably listening right now. Hi, Steph. Miss you. Um, so she wasn't able to join us. Uh, Captain Nick is in one of his favorite layover destinations, and that is uh, Lagos, uh, Nigeria. And uh, he is, uh, I'm sure, having a great time over there. And he tested his bandwidth and found it to be seriously lacking. So he is not, not able to join us either. And then, of course, Dana. We all know that Dana is a big uh, motorcycle rider. Uh, specifically Harley Davidson, uh, a very popular popular brand here in the U.S. And he is down in Panama City, I believe. They have a, a bike week down there this week. And so that's where he is. So again, he's not able to join us for the show. So it's basically me and my fellow loyal uh, fans and uh, listeners in the chat room, the live chat. By the way, if you've not done it before, you should uh, follow us on Twitter at APG Crew. I'm also at Airline Pilot Guy on Twitter and uh, also the Facebook uh, Airline Pilot Guy. We'll put out a little uh, post to let you know that we're going to be recording live and then you can tune in via the uh, AirlinePilotGuy.com website, uh, the live page, or uh, just use the link that I put in the uh, tweet. Head over to YouTube, our YouTube channel, and here we are re- uh, recording live, and we have a great chat room, and uh, it's a it's a lot of fun to hang out with those great folks in the chat room. So, um, as I mentioned, or I may not have mentioned this, maybe I mentioned it before I started recording live, uh, but uh, earlier today, it's been a big day for aviation podcasts. Uh, Mike, dispatcher Mike, started off with the recording of flying and life this morning and then uh, had a little bit of a break and then the plane talking uk guys carlos and matt took over and uh, owen was uh, one of the uh, or the special guest today on the show and uh, oh they also had a special uh, call-in uh, guest uh, carlene pettit and it was a very interesting interview with her so great show you should check out those two podcasts um, they are amongst many many great aviation podcasts out there so um, I'm just happy that I can be a part of this day as well. Now, on Mike's show, he talked a little bit about recent bad behavior. Yep, bad boys. We uh, like to play that on the APG when there is a little bit of bad behavior, uh, especially bad behavior aboard airplanes and uh, in the past few weeks we've had a lot of bad behavior and uh, recently some more um, especially a couple of instances on uh, delta airlines one in which a, uh, a flight 
had to return to the gate and remove a passenger because this person uh, decided to get up and use the bathroom. Now, I'm thinking when I read the uh, account of this that there must be more to it than just uh, the guy getting up to use the bathroom, being told that he needs to sit down, gets up, tries to go to the bathroom again, and they say, okay, that's it. We're going to go ahead and return to the gate. Now, do you really think that a captain is going to turn the airplane around and inconvenience every single person aboard that airplane just to make a point and get this guy off the jet? No. Uh, there, uh, there, is, there is more to the story. I don't know all the details, but uh, they must have thought that this guy was a security threat or perhaps uh, his telling of the story wasn't uh, quite ringing true. Uh, but, you know, how things are in uh, the aviation world and uh, in news and journalism and all that kind of stuff. They don't always quite uh, get the story right, either because they don't bother to really dig deep and get the story right, or because maybe the information that they're been they're being fed is incorrect. But um, so I'm I'm sure that uh, you know it, that 99.9% of the captains that I know, including myself, in that situation. And it happens to us, you know, it's not uncommon that we get a call from the flight attendant saying, or one of the flight attendants saying, hey, one of the passengers just, just got up to go to the bathroom. And then I'll say, well, okay, let me know when that person is back in their seat. And if necessary, we'll let ground control or the tower know that we have to pull ourselves out of the lineup and, uh, you know, be stationary until this person returns to their seat. And then when, when everybody is seated with their seatbelts fastened, the flight attendant will uh, give us a call and say, okay, Jeff, uh, everybody is seated. We're, uh, the cabin is secure. We're good to go. And then we'll tell ground control, okay, our situation is over. And uh, now we'd like to be resequenced. And then we get back in line. Then we go. So that's the way these kind of things are usually uh, conducted. And in this case, again, had to be more to the story uh, for the, uh, air, the flight uh, to return to the gate. And then also another one on Delta, um, a young family traveling. Um, I think they had they bought five tickets. Uh, one of the uh, people with one of those tickets took a, another flight, an earlier flight or whatever. I don't know if it was another airline, another flight, whatever. Uh, but one of those five seats was not going to be used. And uh, the man and his wife and two youngsters, one one-year-old and one two-years-old, uh, decided that they were going to use all of the seats, including the uh, the fifth seat that they had purchased. However, they really didn't purchase that fifth seat because that person used that seat on another flight. So I don't know why they assumed that the seat would be left open and not filled. Uh, for those of you who have flown recently, you know that uh, there's hardly ever a case where there's going to be an empty seat on an airplane. And uh, also, uh, I guess there was a misunderstanding. The uh, the one-year-old child was a lap child, and the uh, lap child means that, guess what? It stays in your lap, unless, of course, there happens to be an empty seat. Um, and if that's the case, then the small child can be situated in the, small, in the uh, separate seat with a uh, authorized, approved, uh, what do you call those things, uh, child seats. However, they just thought that uh, they were entitled to that seat and that space. And so, again, it seems like a little bit of a misunderstanding of uh, the rules of how all that works. And uh, so, again, I'm sure we're not hearing 
all the details and all these stories. And I have to tell you, I, I just flew um, a two-day trip and a three-day trip, uh, so five days in a row, and it really wiped me out, I have to tell you. Uh, and But I was talking with um, a lot of uh, folks, like uh, other flight, or flight attendants and uh, other crew members and also a lot of gate agents, and they were taking me to the side saying, man, it has been crazy. I don't know what is up in this world, what is going on with these passengers, but everybody is spring-loaded to be offended, to uh, you know, feel like their rights are not being um, realized or, or uh, whatever. Uh, people are like immediately throwing out their cell phones to uh, take video of something that potentially could erupt into a, a major incident. And she said that uh, it's really getting out of hand and she's hoping or they are hoping that uh, uh, over a little time here that uh, things will start settling down. But, you know, it's uh, it's spring and uh, the temperatures are warming up here in the northern hemisphere and uh, it won't be long here in the United States uh, where we're getting really warm temperatures and cramming a lot of people in uh, very warm uh, very tight spaces, and uh, it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be difficult. So I'm hoping that uh, people will start using their their heads and staying cool at least as far as their uh, behavior is concerned. So we shall see. But uh, you know, I've never seen so many employees at my airline be so concerned about what's happening lately. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, this will this trend will reverse and things will get back under control. Now, my um, second trip this week, uh, the Tuesday through Thursday trip, I had the great fortune to meet up with one of the APG community members, Nick Acosta. He's been around for almost since the beginning. Uh, in fact, maybe he has been there the whole time. But uh, on our early meetups in Miami, even before there was such a thing as Miami Rick, uh, Nick uh, was there and uh, was present at the uh, those early meetups in the Miami Miami area, and uh, he contacted me through Facebook and said, "Hey, if you're down here anytime soon, let me know and we'll get together." And I said, "Well, as a matter of fact, I'll be in Fort Lauderdale. I know it's not really super convenient to you in Miami, but I'll be relatively close by." And he said, "That sounds great. I'll after work, I'll head over to uh, your hotel, pick you up, and we'll go somewhere and have a." Have a meal. So that's what we did. And it was great to see Nick. And we had a great seafood uh, dinner at a little hole in the wall place. I think it's called the Southport Raw Bar, not too far from our hotel. And we got all caught up. Uh, Nick is working for an outfit called Atlas, Atlas Airlines, or Atlas Air. I'm not sure what the formal name is, but. Uh, uh, that's uh, an airline that some of you may be familiar with. Uh, one of our uh, crew members uh, works at um, that great company we call Acme Giant. And uh, he is in the uh, dangerous goods department. And uh, he was telling me all about what his uh, duties and responsibilities are there. So that, that was pretty cool to talk about all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so uh, great to see you, Nick, if you happen to be listening. I hope to uh, meet up with you again soon. Okay, now let's talk about more exciting things like Wings Over Pittsburgh. Yes, it is. Believe it or not, <laughs> we've been talking about it for more than a year, and now it is basically a week away. Today's Friday, 
And next Friday, the 12th of May, many of the people that are going to be in Pittsburgh for the air show are going to be already there. I'm planning on arriving on Wednesday afternoon. A lot of folks are coming in on Thursday. And then, of course, our the air show itself is going to be Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday night is when we're having our uh, APG uh, live podcast recording uh, with uh, all of our Avgeet podcast friends as well, uh, including uh, great folks from the uh, Airplane Geeks podcast. Uh, we have, uh, of course, uh, Matt and Carlos from the PTUK. Uh, we have a uh, uh, bunch of people coming. Uh, can't name them all, but uh, they're going to be a bunch of folks with us. Of course, uh, you know, Micah and Brian, uh, they're going to be kind of part of the airline uh, airplane geeks podcast uh, contingent. And uh, let's see if I'm I missing anybody. We have the PTUK guys and uh, a bunch of folks like uh, our, uh, our representative from NevTech Industries. Uh, he's in the chat room right now. The, uh, the wonderful Nev of NevTech. Going to be helping us out with the uh, audio uh, technical stuff. And uh, boy, many people that I'm looking at right now in the chat room. Barbara Parrish flying over from the UK. Rebecca Saylor, she's not too far, I believe, from that area. She's going to be coming in with some of her family. Um, let's see. I'm not sure about Jeff Ward, if you're going to be there or not. I know main man Micah. Uh, Captain Al is going to be there. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, uh, Pilot Pip is not going to be. Uh, he has some kind of a a, a very uh, weak excuse, something about uh, camping inside of whales, which I don't know about you, but that does not sound like something I'd ever want to do because I know that when you're around fish, especially really, really large fish, it's really, really smelly, stinky. And why? I, I hope that the uh, the whales that they're going to be camping in are... are uh, are dead whales, and that's going to make it even worse, really. But live whales, I mean, that seems like it'd be kind of dangerous. So, see what I mean? Very weak excuse, Captain or uh, Pilot Pip. But um, anyway, we're going to miss you. Um, let's see. Yeah, Micah says, "Bar she blows." Uh, his excuse blows. It's what blows. Okay. Anyway bunch of people. I mean, I, too numerous to name are going to be there. And I'm so excited. And I know that everybody else is as well. Uh, Liz is going to be uh, driving in her brand new uh, Ford. What is it? Ford Explorer. I sometimes get that wrong. Escape, maybe. Escape. Uh, with uh, the, uh, the wonderful and infamous Neville the Devil. Good luck with that, Liz. Okay. Anyway, let's uh, not get sidetracked, Jeffrey. Let's get back to our our uh, list here. Uh, what else did I want to say about the Wings Over Pittsburgh t-shirts? So I decided to be kind of cool. A gift, my gift to you, all of you who are going to be there in person in Pittsburgh next week to uh, make these t-shirts. And when I say make these t-shirts, I don't mean order them and then somebody else prints them. I am printing them myself. If I had my, I could turn my camera around, I could show you the equipment that I have here in the uh, in the Studio 1A. It's not only podcasting uh, equipment, it's also printing equipment. I have screen printing equipment, uh, heat transfer, heat press equipment, and that's what I'm going to do. I just put in the order today. Hopefully you got your uh, t-shirt t-shirt order in before I made my order with the company. 
and I'll be getting the raw, the blank um, camouflage shirts in hopefully on Monday because uh, it's going to take me some time to print up a, a much larger number of t-shirts than I thought there were going to be. And I'm hoping that we'll also get the, or I'll also get the, uh, the heat transfers that I ordered a couple days ago. That should be, uh, those should be coming in today or tomorrow. And then I'll start the press and uh, start making those shirts. So uh, if you are um, going to be there at the show and uh, you got your order in, then uh, I'll be able to distribute the uh, t-shirt to you when I get there or when you get there, when we get there. Uh, Let's see. Some people were saying, well, what about meetups while we're all in the Pittsburgh area? Basically, most of us are staying very close by the uh, airport, the Pittsburgh International Airport on the uh, east side of the airport. That's where the 9-11th Reserve Airlift Wing is located. And right across the street from the entrance to that is the courtyard by Marriott Hotel. Many of us are staying there. I think most of us are staying there. Also, the Embassy Suites nearby and the Sheraton nearby are a couple of other hotels that I know uh, for sure that people are staying. Um, but uh, we'll be, if you just show up to the courtyard, I'm sure you're going to be able to find somebody in the APG community. Um, and uh, if you want to figure out where we are and such, uh, follow us on Twitter at APG Crew, at Airline Pilot Guy. Also, if you uh, have a smartphone, download the Swarm app, that's S W A R M app, and uh, ask to be a friend of mine. I'm Captain Jeff. Captain C-A-P-T-A-I-N, Jeff. And I'll say, if I like you, I'll say, okay, I accept you as my friend. No, I'll accept everybody. And then I'll try to be good about making sure that I'm checking in everywhere so you know where we are. And then we'll uh, announce where we're going to have these impromptu meetups on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. So make sure you follow us. Also, uh, the live recording the uh, APG uh, show and Avgeek podcast friends live recording at the courtyard by Marriott at around seven o'clock on Saturday night. And uh, remember only 60 people can fit in that room. So it's going to be a tight fit, I believe. And I'm hoping that everybody will be able to attend that. If not, we'll have to maybe we'll do this in shifts or something, or maybe we can get away with getting more people in there. Just don't tell the fire department. Uh, let's see. That's all I have to say about that. So looking forward to wings over Pittsburgh. Oh no, I have one more thing to talk about. Um, the organizer of the, uh, or the air operations director, I should say, Captain Richard Bell, USAF of wings over Pittsburgh 2017 sent me an email. He said, I heard that some folks were flying in for the show, but not going to be flying directly into the Pittsburgh international airport. K-Pit. I put together a list of airports that would be good options for people and have easy access to KPIT from the crazy highway system. He put that in all caps. <laughs> He's yelling from the crazy highway system we have around Pittsburgh. I would try to avoid Allegheny County Airport. And I think that I've recommended that to a couple people. Sorry. So he, uh, he says, I would try to avoid Allegheny County Airport. It's very difficult to get across town. I would also try to avoid Washington County Airport and Wheeling, Ohio County Airport. Both are nice pieces of pavement, but it can take upwards of uh, an hour or a two-hour round trip. 
or more to get down there and back. So let me know if this, if it helps these guys out. Okay, we'll do. Thank you, Rick. So now the, the airports that he recommends, if you're going to fly your general aviation airplane up there, is uh, the first one on the list is Beaver County Airport, 4,500 foot paved strip. And the fuel there, the 100 low level fuel, $4.99 a gallon. Jefferson County Airport is the second one that he recommends, 5,000 foot of feet of paved runway. Uh, 100 low level fuel, $4.40 per gallon. Butler County Shoulder, uh, I'll put all this in the show notes, by the way, you don't have to write this down right now. 4,800 foot paved runway, the gas there, $4.90 per gallon. And the last one, how would you pronounce that? Zelianopol uh, Airport, KPJC, 4,900 foot paved runway. The fuel is $5 per gallon. So please check the show notes for those four general aviation airports that he recommends if you're flying your airplane in for the meetup. Okay, so thank you. Captain Richard Bell for that bit of information. Hopefully that'll help somebody and I will let you know if it does. Okay. Uh, and then finally, if you want your own, um, and you're not going to be able to make it to the wings over Pittsburgh show, if you want your own APG over Pittsburgh shirt, uh, that you can find on red bubble and, uh, the way you get there and to the airline pilot guy show, page is by going to the airlinepilotguy.com website and then clicking on the APG store link. And if you want to go directly there, it's airlinepilotguy.com slash store. There you'll find the Wings Over Pittsburgh shirts, uh, not in camouflage, I'm sorry to say, um, and other shirt designs. So check it out if you would want some APG merch. Okay. I think that's it for my notes there. Looks like now would be a good time to quickly talk about the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the java java and it loves me. Coffee and tea, and I didn't mean to turn it off. I guess I need to keep singing. In the background, I can't sing and talk at the same time, so we'll just play that again in the background while I talk about the coffee fund. And there are two ways to contribute to the show via the coffee fund. One is what we call the coffee fund classic method. And... That is via PayPal, and since the last show, we have a couple people that uh, contributed using that method, and they are John Wozni and Brandon Gonzalez. We're going to talk about Brandon a little bit later in the show. He sent us some feedback. I believe John did, too. So thank you, guys, for using the Coffee Fund Classic method of the Coffee Fund. And uh, we also have something called Patreon. If you want to become a patron of the show, use patreon.com slash airlinepilotguy. And we have two new producers of the show, Mike Blackburn and Peter Juhaz. I probably didn't pronounce that. It probably wasn't even close to proper pronunciation, but I gave it a shot. So Peter and Mike 
our two new producers via Patreon. So thank you very much for your support, everyone. If you want to become part of the cadre yourself, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. So now let's move on to the news. Nicholas tells me I pronounced Peter's name perfectly. It's Hungarian. Yay. Sometimes I get lucky. Thank you for that. Um, let's start off with, uh, and somebody sent me a piece of feedback on this. I forgot whom. Uh, anyway, or I forgot who sent this to me. And uh, anyway, it's from Flying Magazine. Uh, a California man was sentenced to 10 months in prison for illegally piloting a Cessna Citation and a Falcon 10 jet for paying passengers. On April 27, 2016, Arnold Gerald Leto III was arrested on federal charges of illegally piloting a private airplane from Los Angeles to Las Vegas without a pilot's license. The Department of Justice and FAA determined that Leto had illegally piloted a number of flights dating back to at least 2015, and he ultimately pleaded guilty to the charges. This week, Leto was sentenced to 10 months in federal prison and required to pay a $5,500 fine. In January of 2015, he took paying passengers from Santa Monica to Phoenix, despite never having received a type rating for a turbojet-powered airplane. For that trip, he served as the sole pilot of a Cessna Citation. By the way, I believe that citation was not certified for single pilot operation. It was, you know, you're required to have two pilots. And so not only did he fly the airplane by himself in, um, uh, against the regulations, but he also didn't have a type rating, nor did he have any of the proper licensing to fly that kind of airplane. And he also flew a Falcon 10, a twin-engine Falcon 10, on a trip from Van Nuys to Las Vegas where there were eight passengers. This was on April 8th, 2016. And uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, he was flying that solo as well. <laughs> Again, requires two pilots. Wow. So uh, he got, uh, as I said, 10 months in prison and a $5,500 fine. I think he got off pretty lightly for not, um, you know, doing the right thing and actually getting proper licensing and such. Definitely endangered the flying public. So uh, good to see that uh, he was busted. Um, let's go on. This was actually kind of breaking news of sometime earlier today, the 5th of April, um, a air cargo carriers short SD-330 flying on behalf of United Parcel Service, UPS, was flying from Louisville, Kentucky to Charleston, West Virginia, with two crew members. Uh, they were on final approach to Charleston's Chuck Yeager Airport, runway 5, at 6.53 local time in the morning. 
When the aircraft impacted trees and terrain to the left of the runway, the aircraft burst into flames and was destroyed. The airport reported it appeared that one of the aircraft's wings hit the runway surface and the aircraft went off to the left of the runway into a hill. Uh, Another report said that actually when the left wing hit the runway surface, it broke off and then the fuselage and airplane just cartwheeled off to the left. One of the unusual things about this airport is that uh, any of you familiar with West Virginia, especially Charleston, the state capital, know that the terrain around that area is not flat in the least bit. It's uh, just a very, very hilly, almost mountainous area. And so they basically leveled off the top of one of these mountains and put the uh, airport there. And that means that when you land on the runway, if you go off the runway, either off either end or off either side, it's very likely that before long you're going to be heading down into a very steep uh, drop-off. And that's what happened here. Both uh, occupants, the pilot and co-pilot, were killed, unfortunately. Rest in peace. Uh, The NTSB has opened an an investigation. And uh, weather at the time, uh, let's see, a few clouds at 100 feet. So kind of a low-level scud, 500 overcast, so the ceiling was 500 feet above the ground, temperature uh, 14, dew point 13. They also have a note in here about valley fog, so that usually means kind of a a low fog close to the ground and uh, very thin, and uh, they're not sure if that has something to do with this accident or not. I'm sure it probably does have something to do with it. It looks like the airport is closed by NOTAM until tomorrow, the 6th of May. And as I said, they're investigating this accident. It's just uh, so so tough to see something like this. But apparently something went wrong there toward the end of their approach and landing, and uh, they they uh, crashed and, and perished. Uh, let's see. Well, let's move on to China. Let's go over to the other side of the world. Uh, Comac, the uh, commercial aircraft manufacturer, I believe that's what Comac stands for. Um, anyway, they've been working on an airplane for uh, several years now, and today, I believe, was or yesterday, very, you know, very recent, uh, made their first their maiden flight with the C nineteen nine nineteen. And uh, let's see, I have a little bit of video of this if you want to watch together. So. Okay, it's rolling for takeoff. Hmm, that thing looks a lot like an Airbus, doesn't it? Hmm. All right, it's rolling for takeoff. Have some more sound here. That's all the way up. Okay, it's rolling for takeoff in Shanghai. International Airport. China's first large passenger jet is about to take off. This is C919's first maiden flight. Now it's taken off. Right now it's already taken off. Nice view of the uh, nose wheel extension. On these maiden flights, they almost always leave the landing gear extended. So no gear retraction here. And off it goes. As I said, it looks a lot like um, most modern twin-engine narrow-body airplanes. Now here's a view from the inside of the cockpit. 
And the test pilots wearing their bright orange jumpsuits, flight suits, are uh, up there flying the thing. Looks like everything is going swimmingly well. So, while you watch that, let me uh, read a little bit about this airplane. The twin-engine narrowbody C919 uh, is presented as a competitor to the Airbus 320 and the Boeing 737. The airliner was produced by the Commercial Aircraft Corporation of China. There we go, COMAC, a national enterprise established in 2008 with the ambitious plan of producing China's first successful passenger jet. I saw an interesting article about the C919. It said, how much of it is really made in China? <laughs> There's a, a nice graphic here. Let me see if I can uh, share that with you as well if you're watching the video. I know that most of you aren't. But uh, if you are, uh, you can watch it with me. The uh, graphic here shows uh, many of the parts of the airplane. Uh, the engines, of course, are from uh, the, are made by uh, CFM. They're CFM 56s, used in many uh, narrowbody airplanes, including the uh, narrowbody Airbuses as well as the uh, Boeing 737 uh, and other airplanes as well. Thrust reversers by uh, a French company. Yeah, the engine is the CFM Leap 1 engine, the most modern, uh, latest generation engine that they manufacture. Uh, wing anti-icing from a German company, Honeywell, APU, Flight Recorder, General Electric, um, Fuel System, Parker Aerospace, a, a U.S. company. Honeywell is for the landing gear, uh, a fire detection system from a U.K. company, uh, KID, or Kidda, Kidda, not sure how you pronounce that. I would say Kid probably. Rockwell Collins for the simulator systems, cockpit. Uh, a lot of the components in the cockpit made by Eaton, E A T O N, a U.S. company. Well, you get the idea. Uh, a, a bunch of this airplane is not made in China, believe it or not. But it probably won't be long <laughs> before all of it will be because it isn't everything made in China. Anyway, um, back to my video here. Okay, so uh, that was kind of cool to see uh, that China is trying to get into the game, along with uh, the, the big boys, Boeing and Airbus, and of course the smaller players in uh, the game uh, recently, Bombardier. Of course, they've been in the game for a while, but their newest C-series uh, jets, uh, etc. So uh, should be uh, could be interesting out there. A lot of competition, which is, the competition's good, right? It uh, forces prices down and... Um, increases innovation. So that's good to hear. All right, that's enough of uh, the news. And now let's get on to the best part of the show, which of course is your feedback. Captain, incoming message. Sorry, Bruce, I think I just woke, uh, woke you up. My bad. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Let's start off today with, uh, Madrod. Uh, hello, my name is Madrod and I have a question. So I want to become an airline pilot. I'm 19 years old and I've already got my FAA certificate to be able to fly and I want to start flight school in summer. I guess he means he already has his medical certificate, perhaps. First question I have is with the technology that we have today and we will have higher technology in the future and I want to know that uh, what do we need first thing you need to do is get never mind um, 
uh, do, so let me try to work out this sentence here. The first question I have is with the technology that we have today, and we will have higher technology in future, want to know that, do we still need a pilot? Yes, we still need a pilot. <laughs> Obviously, Mayrod has not listened to the show very much. A new listener. Yes, we need a pilot. We're going to have pilots. Uh, we're going to have pilots long after I pass from this world. So don't worry. It's still a good career field to get into. They're not getting rid of pilots for a long, long time. I don't care what the people out there say <laughs> that are that disagree with me. You're wrong. <laughs> We're going to be around for a while. Well, I might not be. I'm going to be forced to retire in six and a half years, so I won't be flying these things in the future. But uh, trust me, there will always be a human with flying skills aboard an airplane. Uh, let's see. He continues. I mean, is it worth it that I'm going to flight school this summer, 2017? Yes, it's worth it. Uh, next question is, what measure do you recommend for a four-year degree? What measure? Oh, he means major. Uh, I would major in something that you want to do in case it doesn't work out in the flying career. So if you're interested in being a lawyer or an accountant or uh, whatever, uh, do that. So whatever your plan B is, Whatever job it is that you, if you couldn't be an airline pilot, what do you want to do instead? That is what I get my degree in. Because as many of you know out there, it doesn't always go the way you want it to go. So as much as you want to be a pilot in the airlines, they may not want you. So you might want to uh, have that backup plan. And that's what I get my degree in. Now, I am not a good example. I, or, well, I guess I really can't say that because if I couldn't fly, I'd still want to do something in the aviation world. And I ended up getting a degree in aviation management, which is kind of a generic degree, kind of a business degree and a sort of an engineering degree. Uh, at the time, it was in the School of Engineering at Auburn University. So I took a bunch of engineering courses. Um, and, uh, you know, I figured that if I couldn't make it or cut it as a pilot, then I could do something else in the world of aviation. And many people listening to this show right now, you know what I mean. You're doing uh, something in the field of aviation. It's not flying airplanes, but uh, you're still enjoying your job. And, and so that's what I would have done as well. Um, but let's say you want to, uh, you want to be a musician, perhaps uh, many pilots are musicians, myself included. Um, you know, so if you think that maybe a career in music is something you might want to pursue, if you can't make it in the aviation world, uh, then I get a degree in music. It doesn't matter if you have an engineering degree or uh, a science degree or a math, math, medical degree or whatever. Um, it just matters if you have a degree. So that's my advice. Yeah. So, Mayrod, thanks for your feedback. Hopefully, hopefully uh, your journey will be a nice, smooth one. Mark sent some feedback. He says, good day. Fairly new but avid listener to the podcast streams all the way over in Sydney, Australia. Although Brit by birth from the county of Surrey. Absolutely love what you guys and gals do on the show. A great mix of people. The time just flies by when tuning in. Yeah, it does. <laughs> We're uh, no, actually not even quite to the hour point yet, which is good uh, because I'm doing the solo. Things are moving a lot faster than they normally do. So that's cool. Um, anyway, he says, excuse any typos as it's pretty late here. Okay. 
I'll give you a break, Mark. Despite having a passion for flying and even once a career aimed to be a pilot, I suffered a traumatic event that resulted in very bad PTSD, which later manifested itself in all forms of anxiety, and flying became much harder, albeit as a passenger. Probably a good thing I didn't get my wings. I don't suffer any irrational fear of crashing, just the fear of the fear. As I do a fair amount of flying, I just have to push through it. So for me personally, hearing you talk really relaxes me about flying. The general public has very little access to pilots, and it's great to hear the speak from the other side of the door, so I thank you all. You are welcome. I initially was confused about this Acme Airlines. I even Googled it to no joy. How could this now infamous airline not be found on the internet? Silly me. Yeah, it's a, it's a fictional airline. Because, uh, just quickly, if you're new to the show, I fly for a real legacy carrier here in the U.S., uh, but I don't want to uh, be an official representative of the company, although I love the airline uh, for which I fly, and uh, I would never say anything bad about it, but I don't, I don't have permission to represent uh, the company. So I say that I fly for Acme Airlines. Yeah, it's just better that way, I think. Uh, he continues, one of my funniest in-flight experiences was after a rather heavy landing in Jersey, UK. All the oxygen masks came out of their compartments, and in a mad panic, all the passengers rushed to put them on. <laughs> I found this quite amusing. Although, did wonder if there was a stern wind blowing in from France and perhaps the pilots were trying to protect the Brits. Ooh, nationalistic uh, humor, huh? That said, I wouldn't laugh if this was at flight level 370. Yeah, that would have been the right thing to do. Although, a hard landing at 370, uh, that might be kind of weird. But uh, yes, it is amusing that uh, folks put on oxygen masks on the ground <laughs> because, uh, as we know, you know, the people that are in the know, the oxygen masks are there not for uh, anything but uh, keeping uh, you conscious and not uh, succumbing to hypoxic hypoxia. Anyway, uh, he says he has a couple of questions for us. Uh, oh, darn it. One's for Captain Nick. Acme Red, one of my favorite airlines, flies to some of the best destinations in the world, so it must be a great airline to work for. What would a typical schedule be? Do you get any choices for destinations? And how long would you typically stop over on a typical long-haul flight to the Caribbean or Far East? Well, I can sort of answer that one because I know Captain Nick. I've known him for a while, and I know his schedule. Um, his airline in particular, Acme Red, um, is different than the airline, uh, the types of airlines that we, most of us fly for here in the U.S. It's not a seniority-based system. I, I think there is some seniority involved there, but it's it's different. Uh, it seems that Captain Nick doesn't always get to fly where he wants to fly. I think he has a way of requesting. Uh, he prefers certain destinations over others, like perhaps the one that he is uh, on right now. The trip he's on right now to Lagos, Nigeria is not one of his favorites. Uh, he would not have picked that. In fact, I think he was supposed to be on a trip to John F. Kennedy International in New York, which he enjoys very much. Um, but they switched it at the last minute, told him he was going to Lagos instead. And um, I'm not sure, you know, how much control he has over that. Doesn't seem like he does. He's, he's been with Acme Red for quite some time, so he'd think that he'd have the seniority to say, uh, no. Uh, but um, 
typically he'll fly trips to uh, uh, New York, uh, Detroit, Atlanta, uh, Lagos, uh, sometimes uh, some Caribbean destinations. And it seems like most of the time he's there for 48 hours or two days, uh, two nights uh, before he flies back. One long flight back, you know, one long flight over and one long flight back. And sometimes he'll fly over on the long haul and then get a 24-hour break and then back. But uh, that's the kind of stuff that he does with Acme Red. I'm sure he would fill in more of the more of the blanks, more of the details there if he was with us, uh, but he's not. Uh, perhaps he'll have something to add when he returns next week. Um, continuing with uh, Mark's feedback, he says, For all, apologies for the broad question, the dreaded mid-flight seatbelt sign is something that sets off my unusual levels of anxiety. So, on short-haul flights, we seem to experience more turbulence than the longer trips. Is this due to larger aircraft, routing, or a combination? How long does a heavy turbulence typically tend to last? Does it get worse in the tropics or around the equator? Uh, okay, so let's see. Let's start with um, seatbelts. Short-haul flights, you're spending a greater percentage of your flight in the climb and uh, descent phases, and you're more likely to encounter turbulence um, in the lower altitudes, especially the mid-teens, number one. Not always, but you're more likely to, I would say. Um, the routing does make a difference, especially... Uh, uh, the longer uh, routes over the uh, the Nat tracks over the North Atlantic, uh, sometimes there are areas of um, some significant turbulence, um, and you know they're pretty much at most altitudes, so not a lot they can do about it. Uh, but I can say that trips down to the equatorial regions, the intertropical convergence zone, or the ITCZ, uh, definitely you're going to have turbulence because that's basically where thunderstorms are born or huge storms, hurricanes, cyclones, that kind of thing are spun off from the intertropical convergence zone because that's where the, uh, the air patterns, the wind patterns, the, the pressure gradients from the hemispheres, uh, they're different. They're opposite of each other. And of course, right there at the equator or very near it, depending on the time of year or the tilt of the earth, the uh, that's where all this all these air masses are coming together, and one air mass is going one direction, and the other air mass is going the other, and when you have that kind of a mixture of uh, competing air masses, you end up getting some bad weather, and uh, usually associated with that bad weather is not so great turbulence. So yes, it does have uh, something to do with it, where you're flying, what time of year you're flying. If you're the kind of person that doesn't like turbulence, and you know most people are like that, I recommend, especially this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere, in the spring, in the summertime, and early fall, that uh, if you don't like it, uh, try to schedule flights early in the day, because that's when you're more likely going to be avoiding significant turbulence. You know, you're going to avoid those uh, uh, those afternoon thunderstorms and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's my recommendation. Um, yeah. So Mark ends saying, appreciate you may not be able to answer all of my questions. Well, I did my best. Uh, thank you, Mark, for your feedback from Sydney, Australia. Moving on. Let's uh, see what Wayne has to say here. 
Hello, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Nick, and First Officer Dana. My name is Wayne Johnston, and I've been enjoying your podcast for a few years and contributed to the Coffee Fund from time to time. Thank you. I should ring the bell for that. I was listening to Neville Bound's interview for APG with Adam Spink. Sorry if I misspelt Adam's surname. No, you didn't. That was correct. Regarding his recent trip to Heathrow Control Tower with Matt and Carlos from Plane Talking UK and Pilot Pip Plane Safety Podcast. All interviews that the guys did with Adam were very interesting. I think it would be like working on the biggest train set in the world, only not working with trains but planes. Anyway. It got me thinking of one of the discussion topics in Nev's interview. It was around aircraft separation. To maximize utilization of aircraft movements at Heathrow, separation of flights are getting smaller and smaller. I believe it used to be six miles, and now it's five. I saw a photo from a following plane of an Airbus A380 on short final through low cloud, and I saw the very large hole that the 380 punches and the downward vortices it created. This got me thinking, do, requ do aircraft require more separation in calm wind as opposed to windy days in order to let disturbed air settle or pass through? Hope this makes sense. Looking forward to seeing who might be best equipped to comment on my question. Well, it's going to be me. <laughs> uh, would love to catch up with anyone if uh, you uh, have some time. I'm not in your part of the world or, or when I'm in your part of the world or vice versa. Brisbane in Australia is somewhat detached from APG impromptu catch-ups. Yes. I've been to Brisbane, by the way. Beautiful place. Uh, oh, also, I'm enjoying Dana's input on the, uh, in the Mad Dog corner. He's a guy I'd like to barbecue and smoke some meat with, <laughs> along with a few IPAs. Well, Dana doesn't drink IPAs, but we'll drink the IPAs with you and you can eat your smoked meat with Dana. Of course, I love smoked meat too. Anyway, yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, love Dana. Uh, Wayne continues, thanks again for the ongoing enjoyment you're bringing to all of us on top and down under the globe. Regards, Wayne Johnston. Okay. So yeah, they uh, talked a lot about the, uh, the reduced separation criteria, especially what they're doing at uh, Heathrow uh, with those great interviews with Adam Spink. By the way, he's a great guy as well. It was great getting a chance to uh, uh, con converse with him at the Break Pad <laughs> uh, restaurant. And I think it's, I still think that's a very funny name for a, a bar and restaurant. But anyway, the Break Pad, uh, not too far from the Atlanta International Airport. Um, the, uh, reduced separation, I don't know all the details, but basically they're basing the separation now on, um, weather and, uh, especially the wind patterns. And your sense, uh, is correct, Wayne, that, uh, when the winds are calm, you're probably going to need more space because those wake vortices that you're seeing there are going to hang around longer. And if I remember correctly, the, uh, the way a wake vortices disperses or propagates uh, is from the wingtips, and uh, they go outward anywhere from about one to five knots. Uh, I think the bigger the airplane, the heavier the airplane, the little bit faster, and also has something to do with the speed of the airplane as well. And uh, the way that they uh, propagate downward, if I remember correctly, it's like three to 500 feet per minute. So when you don't have the fog or some other kind of uh, airborne condensate to uh, show you those or picture those uh, vortices. You have to kind of picture them in your head. And uh, that's one of the things a good pilot will be thinking about when they're flying behind. Uh, and it's, you know, 
visual meteorological conditions, not uh, uh, instrument conditions, where you can actually see everything around you. You can see the airplane ahead of you. You have to uh, kind of take that into account. And uh, the the sharp pilots that I fly with go, hmm, maybe we should ride a little bit higher on the glide slope to avoid that wake vortices or the wake turbulence. Or maybe we should fly a little bit to the left because that's going to be upwind of uh, the uh, the vortices, etc. That's that's a smart thing to do. Uh, but uh, the thing that they're doing at Heathrow is a very smart thing as well. Um, by adjusting the separation based on the uh, wind conditions at the airport. And uh, one of the interesting things you have to think about is that if it's a very light wind and it's a very light crosswind, so that airplane ahead of you throwing off that vortice, uh, let's say that uh, uh, the wind is coming from left to right, uh, you have to kind of picture in your head that 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 wake turbulence, that wake vortices is going to or vortice vortice <laughs> is going to be uh, staying in that position because they're it's trying to propagate sideways at uh, one to five miles per hour. And if you have or uh, one to five knots, if you have a wind that's one to five knots, guess what? It's going to hold that uh, wake vortice in position. And the other one's going to be scooted off. You don't have to worry about that one. So a lot of things that we have to think about when we are following airplanes, landing at big, busy airports, uh, especially behind large or heavy or jumbo airplanes. But it uh, looks like uh, Heathrow has kind of taken the, the whole um, you know, calculus out of it by just uh, adjusting that separation based on their scientific uh, calculations and readings and such. So I'm sure that we're going to see more of that at uh, airports airports around other airports around the UK in Europe and uh, the US as well in the future. So great question, Wayne. And uh, I'll let uh, Dana know that uh, you want to meet up with them in Brisbane for uh, smoked meat and IPAs. Although make sure you have a nice bottle of bourbon on hand for Dana. Okay, man, one of the things that I forgot about when you're doing a show by yourself is that um, I don't have time to sit back and listen to somebody else talk and drink my beer. So hang on, bear with me. Ah, that stuff swill. I'm drinking Corona. Ugh. All right. Um, Rob writes in, in a previous episode, you joked about flying to the Cayman Islands. I've noticed how composites have led to some great new designs such as Icon, I-K-O-N, and Dornier Sea Star. Uh, two great, uh, I think they're amphibious airplanes. The inherent corrosion resistance must be a real bonus. Made me wonder how much freedom does a pilot have to land on lakes and in the sea in locations of their choice. Ooh, I meant to do some research on this, Rob. I don't know. Um, while they seem like the ultimate freedom machine, I imagine there are more restrictions than may be apparent at first. I bet you're right. I don't know. Um, anybody in the chat room, uh, know anything about the rules when it comes to landing on lakes and in sea? I know that, um, I bet Dr. Steph does, if she's still here with us. Uh, she has a seaplane rating. I think she's the only one of us in the, uh, APG crew that does have a, a seaplane rating. So, uh, we'll see if she gets back with us on that. Are there, uh, restrictions or can you just land on any darn lake? Uh, or a river, or anywhere in the sea. I'm sure there must be restrictions. If we don't answer it on today's show, Rob, I'll try to make a note of that fact and uh, try to answer your question on a future 
Yeah. Oh, Miami Rick, uh, excuse me, Miami Hick says rule number one, stay above the water. I guess you can go right on the water, but not below it. I would recommend against going under the water. That would be my advice. Yes, I guess uh, Steph now has boarded the airplane is taxiing out, so she cannot help us out. So uh, Jeff Ward says in the U.S., um, it uh, varies by state. And uh, the Seaplane Pilots Association has a guidebook of the bodies of water where landing is allowed. Okay, yeah. As we suspected, Rob, there are there are restrictions. Um, also, restrictions landing in parks, etc. So, um, your your sense was correct. Rob continues on a related and different note. Do simulators have programming to simulate ditching at sea? You have mentioned the challenge of trying to simulate some of the stall conditions that have been at issue lately. In a similar manner, would ditching be hard to simulate with little hard data? I guess all you can do is practice a low-speed glide to the theoretical sea level, uh, but uh, like a helicopter pilot might practice an auto-rotation. Or, a, I'm sorry, a bit like a helicopter pilot practicing an auto-rotation. Yeah, you know, I've never seen, and none of the simulators that I've been in, at least nobody's ever shown it to us, uh, simulate ditching at sea. And I believe uh, it's partly because the fact that they probably don't have a lot of hard data as you surmise. And um, maybe it's just, you know, because every situation is going to be different. Every swell condition is going to be different, etc. Um, I don't know. Um, maybe the more advanced simulators do have ditching at sea simulations built in. I don't know. I've never seen it myself. And I've been doing simulators for a long time, but most of the airplanes that I've flown are older technology airplanes and uh, the associated simula simulators are as well. So, um, yeah. So, I don't think so. That would be my answer. Could be wrong, but um, yeah, there you go. Thank you, Rob, for setting in the feedback, and uh, I hopefully I got about 75% of that. <laughs> You're right, though, about the uh, composites and corrosion. That's one of the advantages of composite fuselages, like the uh, uh, Nick likes to call it the bin liner, the uh, 787 Dreamliner, uh, is that they can uh, handle a higher uh, delta P. Let me get a better ding. Delta P, which is the pressure differential. And also they can put higher levels of humidity in the cabin because uh, metal corrosion is not a factor. So, you know, it might be a little bit more comfortable for the passenger with a little bit more humidity inside the cabin. And again, as I said, the composites allow for that because you don't have to worry about metal fatigue, metal corrosion, etc. cetera. Uh, let's see. Lane Street says in Microsoft uh, Flight Simulator, FSX, you can ditch in water if the plane has float type contact points. Hmm. Okay. There you go. Louisiana Steve wrote in and uh, he said, Hello, Captain Jeff and the APG crew. Please see the attached audio feedback and the links that are associated with it. And uh, let's hear. He, he sent us some audio feedback. Let's hear what he has to say. Hello, Captain Jeff, APG crew and the APG community. My name is Louisiana Steve. I'm recording today in Little Rock, Arkansas. I find myself working here all week. And the reason for making this recording is to get your opinion on the much-discussed pilot shortage. Now, 
Now, we've heard about this pilot shortage for many years now and haven't really seen much come of it, to be honest. Well, the FAA just released their latest data and it looks like things could be changing. For example, in 2016, we had 8,000 applicants taking the ATP written exam. But for 2017, if current trends continue, we'll probably end the year with less than 3,000. That's quite a drop-off and probably quite concerning for the airlines. As the, we can see some real data showing that the, the availability of pilots is going to be reducing in future. So what are they going to do about it? Um, are we going to see age 65 become age 67? Are we going to see regional flying absorbed by the main line? Or perhaps we'll see that regionals finally pay a basic living wage for the pilots. That's good news for uh, wannabe airline pilots like myself. It's probably going to cause some difficult times for the airlines. We also have some other interesting data. Um, for example, in 2007, we had two-thirds of commercial certificates being issued to U.S. citizens. But in 2016, this number has fallen to less than half. So it's not only the airlines that are going to be struggling. We're going to see Part 135 and Part 91 operators struggle to fill their left seats. This obviously will compound itself to affect the airlines. And Part 135 and Part 91 is part of the pipeline to supply these pilots. So how are we going to get around this? Without making flying more affordable, is there much we can do? Will the U.S. actually begin importing pilot labor? Is that the level we're at now? We just can't get the pilots that we require? It's going to be an interesting couple of years. Uh, I myself am working on my certificates right now. I'm hoping to be in a regional within the next maybe 18 months to two years. But the reason I held off as long as I did, I'm in my mid-30s, is... Because the, the wages offered, I just, I couldn't afford it. I have a wife, and three children. I couldn't afford to go and make $25,000 a year. So, fingers crossed, this is signs of improvement. This is uh, the airline industry treating its pilots like it should. Well, clear skies, tailwinds as always, and I'll talk to you all later. Bye-bye. Thank you, Louisiana Steve, for your feedback. And uh, yeah, so this pilot shortage thing where many people for so long said, eh, it's all made up, not really fake news. <laughs> no, it's real. Um, has not really significantly impacted the majors yet. It will. But uh, I say significant, significantly, it has to a uh, less significant amount affected even the major airlines such as mine, Acme, because the quality of the folks that are coming in for interviews is going down. Uh, and we're hiring people that uh, people tell me uh, kind of under their breath w would be the kind of people they'd never hire like 10, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, but uh, it's necessary because we need to keep these cockpits filled with pilots and uh, they're doing their best but i i forgot what the exact um i think out of 100 applicants or people who have interviews at acme airlines about 75 percent or so are hired so you know it's a a good ch you know that that number would probably have been much higher years ago but now it's it's going down um a lot of good ideas that you 
proposed there in uh, ways to kind of help alleviate the shortage, at least short term, like extending the retirement age to 67 and a half. I'd heard that rumor several times, but uh, then again, I've heard rumors uh, that say that there is no way that they're even going to touch that. They're going to leave it at 65 forever, uh, but who knows? Um, they're, uh, may, you know, the, <laughs> the military is really, really hurting, even maybe even more badly than the civilian flying world. And uh, there may be some interesting uh solutions to helping with the shortage in the military services here in the U.S. and the airlines as well. So it uh, we may come up with some kind of a hybrid solution for that. Who knows? Uh, what I can tell you is that old geezers like me, I'm sure they're not going to say, hey, we need you to fly um, some stuff in the military as well as your airline stuff. And I really don't want to do that anyway, but... Um, I don't think that that's going to uh, be something that happens. Um, so, yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm sure that, uh, you know, the the FAA and Congress is going to have to alter some things in the future because it's just going to get worse until it gets better. But the good news, as you say, is that they're finally looking at this thinking, hmm, how did we get here? Why is it that people aren't, you know, going into this career field? Maybe all this cost cutting and and uh, lowering wages for this career field and benefits everything else has pushed people away into other fields. Yes, that's what's happened, and uh, so now they're finally taking a look at um, you know raising uh, pay and increasing benefits, etc. But I'm hoping it's not too little, too late. Thank you again, Louisiana Steve, for the feedback. This is something that uh, I'm sure many of you saw, this piece of video. Uh, Richard sent Richard Nash sent this link to me, but I'm sure that there are several other links. Actually, I ended up finding this one on YouTube. This was in Washington State shortly after takeoff from Payne Field. Uh, some dash cam video ended up capturing this dramatic footage. All right, we see a, an intersection, an airplane coming to view. Boom! Wow. Big fireball. Looks like a major motion picture. <laughs> um, what was that, a Cherokee or something like that? It was a Piper uh, low-wing, single-engine, uh, six-place uh, airplane coming into view into the picture. If you're not watching the video, hitting the... I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can watch it yourself. Hitting some uh, wires and uh, hitting the traffic light stanchion and then... Disappearing, disappearing from view in the frame, uh, but apparently the airplane ended up um, uh, crashing, I guess, crash landing without injuring or at least not killing anybody. I'm sure that somebody must have been injured in that, but uh, I, I guess a good outcome and nobody on the ground was um, injured either. So I uh, thought I'd mention that for today's show. And again, a story about that particular incident and the video that we just watched, if you're on the live video, um, will be in the show notes for you to watch as well, if you haven't already seen it. But uh, not sure what the deal is with that. Looked like the uh, engine was still running, the propeller was still turning, 
Um, I'm not sure exactly what caused uh, this accident, if it uh, was overloaded or if they ended up stalling or what. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know. If you do, let us know. Uh, so getting back over here to uh, our feedback, Ken says, it's May 2nd, 2017. I'm sitting at my home office, a little frustrated. I only need four and a half hours, uh, four and a half more hours of solo time. And for almost three weeks in a row, the wind in Louisville has been too high to fly. It ranges from eight knots with 17 knot gusts to 20 and 30 knots variable. I have completed all my cross countries, my right, my night flight requirements, etc., and have been keeping sharp on my home flight simulator. Yes, I went all out. Three screen sim with all the controls running X-Plane 11. I travel often for work, fly Delta, and look forward to meeting the crew during one of my many flights through the Atlanta airport, my home away from home. Just a quick note to all of you that I thoroughly enjoy the show. Listening to all of you and your insights, stories, opinions helps to keep my aviation passion alive. I'm a Navy veteran, served six years in submarine duty, and decided it was time to get above the ocean and land at 50 years old. I started late in my life, but never realized what I was missing. I love the aviation world, the people, the learning process, and really looking forward to getting my private pilot license. Keep up the great podcasts. Ken. Thank you, Ken. Um, I'm glad that we're an inspiration to you and you are an inspiration to us that um, if you have a passion for something, go for it. <laughs> Larry. Larry Geezer sent a, um, a link to an article about an Israeli aircraft industry's Westwind 1124 um, making a, an emergency landing at Sarasota Bradenton Airport. And again, this is one of those things that I have some uh, video footage of. And again, that will be in the show notes. Goes without saying, even though I'm saying it. Let's see, I'm not sure if we have some audio with this or not. We're going to find out. Might be the news reporter here. So we're looking at a, a Westwind, Israeli Aircraft Industries, uh, twin-engine bizjet coming in. The left main landing gear. Here, I'm going to stop it for a second. The left main gear uh, is is extended. It's it's uh, down, but there's no tire. So apparently uh, after they took off from their origin, uh, they realized that uh, somebody told them, I guess, that the uh, the tire was still at that airport and not with them. So the uh, nose wheel, uh, nose gear, nose wheel is there. The right main uh, gear assembly is just fine. It's the left side that uh, has a little stick poking down uh, with a little hub on it, but no tire. So it's always good to have rubber. Uh, there, you know, to kind of help with the uh, the friction on the runway and you know, braking and keeping you from sliding off, etc. But uh, apparently, according to the uh, article, this airplane realized they had a problem, uh, went uh, out over the Gulf of Mexico and just uh, held for a while, burning fuel, kind of lightening up the the weight of the airplane as much as possible. Their original destination was Tampa International. I believe that's what the article said. And they decided instead to go to Sarasota Bradenton. Now, perhaps I'm misunderstanding something. Maybe they were going to another airport in the Tampa area, maybe not Tampa International. But I'm thinking, if it were me, I'd want to land this thing with the longest runway possible and 
Uh, Sarasota Bradenton's runway is not as long as the runways at Tampa International. So I would have gone to Tampa International myself uh, because the more uh, the more runway, the better, especially in a situation where you're not sure what's going to happen when the airplane touches down. The second thing, and I'm, I'll, I'll run the video here in a minute to see what happened. Um, I would, in this situation, when I have um, good right main gear and good nose wheel, and I have a, a bad situation, um, you know, no wheel on the left side, I would assume that uh, the left side is going to create more drag. Okay, There's not a wheel rolling out there. And so I'm going to try to land on the the side of the runway that correlates with the, the good landing gear. So I would have tried to touch down on the right side of the runway. Now, maybe it's different for this airplane. Perhaps this person, this pilot, learn some other technique or whatever for for where to land on the runway. But I would have given myself as much runway as possible to my left uh, when I started braking to make sure that I could keep it on the runway. Um, so me, again, I know I'm second-guessing here. I would have gone to the airport that has a longer runway and, and maybe even a wider runway. And I'd also not landed on the center line, but moved to, uh, in this case, the right side. Uh, so I'm going to uh, hit the play button here, and we'll continue uh, watching what happened. And he's getting close. Sorry, Josh. He's coming in close. Yes. He's about to touch down right now. Okay, he's over the uh, overrun area, over the numbers, touching down. He's right on the center line. Okay, there's some oh, look at the sparks. Sparks coming from the uh, left strut. And, okay, now he's applying some braking. Now the airplane's kind of wobbling and sliding, and then they slide off the left side it's, of the runway and kind of come to down, a stop at about a 45-degree angle from uh, the runway heading. And then, of course, everybody comes out. Everybody's fine. Nobody got injured. Uh, it was a happy ending. Looks like the... Uh, Looks like the passengers all survived, and the airplane looks like they're going to be able to use it again. Maybe not right away. They're going to have to do a little bit of, little bit of work on it. Um, so it's a great landing. <laughs> I agree with the, the commenter. Uh, it was a great landing. And, uh, but again, I just thought that might be interested to, interesting to see and uh, just kind of get my perspective on the whole thing and what I may have done differently. Again, it's so easy for us to be uh, uh, Monday morning quarterbacks or armchair quarterbacks. Maybe the uh, West Wind 1124. By the way, I think that was that that was um, manufactured by, what was it, Aero Commander years ago. And then I think that Aero Commander sold the rights to that um, jet to uh, Israeli aircraft industries. And uh, yeah, so uh, it was... Uh, yeah, as they say, uh, Miami Hicks says, just buff out the paint. It's good. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so, you know, it's hard to argue uh, with the outcome here. Um, it was a good outcome. The airplane doesn't look like it sustained much damage. But again, I think that uh, perhaps if he had landed on the right side of the runway, uh, he would have had a little bit more latitude to keep the airplane going straight down the runway. Uh, perhaps maybe not applying so much brake pressure right away, let, letting the uh, speed dissipate a little bit more. Maybe he would have had a little bit more control. Now, one of the things about this um, 
particular airplane is they don't have ailerons. I mean, that's another thing I would be doing. I would have had, uh, you know, full uh, ailerons on the good side or toward the good side of the of the airplane to keep the left wing up as long as possible. Um, but in this case, I believe this airplane doesn't have ailerons. It's just spoilers. So in order to bank the airplane, the uh, spoilers come out on the upper portion of the wing surfaces, and that spoils the lift, and that helps aid in banking the airplane, or that's what banks the airplane. Whereas in most airplanes, the ailerons actually deflect and uh, cause the shape of the wing to change and more lift on one side than the other. And sometimes if you're in a, in a steeper turn, spoilers do also come up to help uh, aid in banking the airplane. But uh, in this case, I don't think that uh, putting the control yoke into the direction of the of the good gear would have made any difference at all because it's that kind of system where it's just uh, you're just spoiling lift on the wing but again i'm not an expert could be completely wrong about all this but uh looks like um they uh they got out of it okay and uh hopefully it won't cost too much more money to or much money to fix the thing okay uh, let's see. That's enough of that one. Let me get back here to my notes and uh, move on to some audio feedback from Max. Hey there, APG crew and community. This is Max up in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, I think the last time I left some feedback for you, I was getting ready for my instrument check ride and I uh, was a little bit nervous about that, but I'm glad to. Uh, let you know that that went great and uh, passed it with flying colors. And since then, I have also completed my multi-engine land. And uh, as of today, May 2nd, uh, 2017, I'm a newly certificated uh, multi-engine land commercial pilot. So if there's anybody, any uh, corporate people out there uh, who need a pilot, just let me know. Congratulations. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'll be going to uh, CFI school here in about two weeks. And uh, just wanted to give you an update on what I've been doing and how things have been going. I hope all is well with everybody, and I look forward to hearing your next show. Have a good one. Bye. Again, congratulations, Max, from everybody on the APG crew and the APG community. We're all... Uh, we're all clapping, so way to go. Instrument checkride, multi-engine uh, instrument rating. Wow. That's uh, quite an accomplishment. And, um, yeah, if you need somebody to take you somewhere, call up Max. He's there. He's waiting for you. Um, thanks for listening, sir, and uh, appreciate your feedback. Okay, here's a good one. Uh, well, they're all good, of course. I don't have any favorites. David writes, Just thought I would share my in-depth, hot-off-the-press hot news article with you before it goes onto my website. And this is from David Grant, and we'll put a link to his outstanding, extremely funny website. Uh, DavidGrantWriter.blogspot.co.uk Again, don't worry about writing that down. Just look for it in the show notes. So, the article title, Pets for Panicky Pilots. In an effort to meet non-discriminatory standards in aviation, the Federal Aviation Administration has endorsed emotional support animals for pilots that are scared of flying. 
Yes, you heard you heard us right. Pilots that are scared of flying. The chairman of the FAA, Michael Huerta, uh, excuse me, no, this is Michael P. Hurtya, <laughs> announced yesterday that aviation must be more inclusive and that it needs to attract all sorts of people into its ranks. Although the take-up is expected to be small, a new psychological study may swell the numbers of emotionally challenged student pilots. The Center for Error Research of Stupid Pilots on Landing and Takeoff, uh, that's, uh, for, that's uh, an acronym there, Kersplatt, believes that a higher level of anxiety in the cockpit may be an advantage in safe flying. They're funding ab initio courses for the first 100 students who apply. These will be asked to bring their pets with them on the course and must first prove that they are highly unstable without them. Not one to miss an opportunity, Brian Ayer CEO Michael O'Reilly said, I think this is a great idea. We are ready to welcome these new pilots and have plenty of room in the cockpit for pets as they can sit on the jump seats. In fact, I think some nervous passengers might find comfort in knowing that the pilot is more scared of flying than they are. Pilots at Brian Air are already referring to the cockpit as the poop deck. Ooh. Oh, really added, I believe we may even be able to move some of these pets into the first officer's seat. Chimpanzees have been pilots for NASA, and they would probably be overqualified to fly, say, an MD-88 or MD-90. <laughs> very, very funny. Yeah, good one here. <laughs> Wow, that is uh, that is good. By the way, David um, has sent us stuff uh, in the past, uh, very very funny stuff. And again, if you're if you're a fan of uh, satire like uh, the Onion and other related sites, please check out his site, davidgrantwriter.blogspot.co.uk. And I think you'll be laughing your head off as I was last night when I was reading through a lot of his posts. And, uh, oh, you know, the other thing that I wanted to mention is David is also he, a good friend of um, Captain Jerry. So we haven't heard from Captain Jerry in a while, but uh, just thought I'd throw that one in there as well. Okay. Um, let's see here. I told Nick that um, I'm going to wait to play his Plain Tales for when he's on the show. So we're not going to have a Plain Tales on today's show, uh, sadly. And, uh, but, don't you don't you worry. We're uh, we're gonna have one next week. It'll be an interesting one for sure. I guarantee it. But we do have Brandon. Brandon sent some audio feedback. He's a new listener, so let me play his feedback. Hey there, Captain Jeff and the APG crew. This is Bravo Golf from Podcasting on a Plane with some audio feedback. Thank you guys so much for all that you do in aviation podcasting. I'm an ATC tower controller here in Southern California, and I commute to my facility each day in our famous Southern California traffic. One of my favorite ways to pass the time is by listening to the APG podcast. As a matter of fact, I've long been toying with the idea of podcasting, and listening to you guys talk about how things are on your side of the cockpit door has inspired me to finally pick up a recorder and begin doing one of my own about how things are on my side of the mic. Now, I work at a busy general aviation airport, and it's not served by Acme or Acme Red, but Acme does serve a few airports nearby. So the next time you guys are mad dogging in the Southern California area, let me know. I'd love to share my side of things with you and buy you a real cup of coffee. Or better yet, I live in a mecca of craft brewing, so the next time you guys are out this way, the IPAs are on me. But until then, I wish you guys blue skies and tailwinds. Thank you again so much for all that you do, and may all of your flights be flow control free. 
good day. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Flow control free. Flow control free. There we go. Uh, Thank you, Brandon, for the feedback. I'm glad that you're out there, and I'm glad that we inspired you to start your own podcast. And uh, here's a little bit of a, a little bit of a snippet of Brandon's first episode. By the way, I think he already has three or four of them in the can, and we'll put a link to his great show in the, like you need another aviation podcast, right? But uh, this might be one to take a serious look at. So let's listen to a little bit of Brandon's first episode, which just sounds awesome to me. Today on the podcast, an introduction to what the podcast and myself are all about and a story that really hits home. Okay, here we are podcasting on a plane episode number one. Now, this is something I've wanted to do for a long, long time, and I'm so excited to finally be able to share it with all of you. And you know, it's a bit funny, just as I hit the record button for the first time right now, I actually got a little bit of mic fright, which is really funny because I've been broadcasting over VHF Airways for over two decades live where I can't edit it. But anyway, this is going to be a lot of fun. So since this is podcast number one, I wanted to share a bit about me and where I come from. And one of the ways I want to do that is uh, by sharing a little bit of a story. Now, we'll get to that a little bit later, but I think the story is going to strike a nerve with just about all pilots. It sure does with me. And at the end, I'll tell you why. But this story has a great deal to do with why I decided to become a pilot and why I decided to make aviation my career. Okay, a little bit of a tease. Uh, You need to listen to the, the rest of the episode, and it's not a long one at all. It's like maybe 13, 14 minutes, but he tells this story that you uh, don't want to miss. So again, the uh, name of the podcast, I don't think I've mentioned that yet, is Podcasting on a Plane. And again, uh, we'll put the uh, link to this in the show notes. He's on iTunes, and uh, I believe he has three episodes already as an air traffic controller and a pilot, and he's putting out a podcast. And Brandon, great pipes, man. Great voice. Okay, uh, let's see. Continuing on, another podcaster sent some audio feedback. Oh, we've heard from Nick Knack Jack before. Hey, airline pilot guy crew, Dr. Steph, uh, Captain Nick, and of course, our main man, uh, not our main man, but uh, Micah out there somewhere, but uh, Captain Jeff and our new first officer, whose name I keep forgetting. I will remember it eventually. I'm sorry. But at any rate, I'm sitting here on the ground in Atlanta in my 777 uh, because uh, Travel World Airlines is going green these days and not flying our 74s as much. But uh, at any rate. Did he say going green? We're going green. We're going green. We're going to take care of the earth. We're going green. All right. I noticed that my planned departure uh, going northeast bound is the Plumber 2 departure, so I must be going to see Dr. Steph. I'm actually going to Madrid, but uh, I'll probably be going over Charlotte at some point. So hi, Dr. Steph. Uh, Keep up with the great podcast, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. So. Nick is a um, 
Nicholas Jackson is a uh, simulator pilot flying from Atlanta to Madrid, and he's going to be flying over Stephanie's place, and he's on the Plumber 1, or Plumber whatever number. Actually, that's what all of us called it at first when they instituted these new uh, standard instrument departures recently, and uh, turns out that um, it's not Plumber, even though that's what it looks like, P-L-M-M-R. It's actually Palmer, and if you start looking at some of the other uh, waypoints on the departure, you'll notice it has a golf theme. Yes, it's actually named for Arnold Palmer. And so when you are uh, at the ramp and you're requesting pushback from your gate and you talk to the ramp tower and you tell them what gate your, uh, your flight number, the gate at which you're parked, and your SID, uh, in this case the Palmer one, or if you say plumber, They'll come back and say, uh, "Roger, uh, so and so flight uh, with a Palmer." <laughs> they'll make a they'll make a point of correcting you that it's Palmer, not Plumber. But some of us still say Plumber because we just we're just obstinate and uh, just want to be, you know, a pain. But uh, anyway, should be Plumber because it's going very close by Doctor Steph's place. That's her last name. So uh, thank you. Excuse me, Nicholas, for your feedback. I think the corona is actually starting to object to my talking, as I'm sure that many of the rest of you are as well. Um, somebody was asking, I think it was Jen, you know, how's it feel to be on your own? <laughs> yes, it has been a while, Jennifer. It does feel weird. And uh, I'm trying to trying to get my my land legs or sea legs or whatever uh, doing this on my on my own. But uh, it's, it's going all right. Look, I've I've knocked out so much feedback already, and we're not even at the two-hour point. No wonder I have so much darn feedback, and it, it gets so backlogged, because when you have three or four of us on a show, everybody wants to put in their own two cents worth, and uh, makes for a much longer show, show. So you can blame the other people, the other part of the APG, APG crew, for the reason that this show is so long. That's my story, anyway. <laughs> Uh, Kevin writes, Dear APG crew, I've been with Captain Jeff since approximately episode 50. Have to admit I was skeptical about guest hosts. Yeah, me too. And that it would ruin it. But Jeff, you've done a great job keeping the flow of the show being true to your values and intent. I've come to really enjoy Dr. Steph's general aviation perspective and cohesion she provides, along with the old pilot's plane tales and humor that keeps Jeff's finger on the bleep button. <laughs> Great crew. So, other than scratching your back, I'm writing because I saw an interesting chemtrail tonight. I immediately got on my Flight Radar 24 app to see what plane would make such a distinct pattern, but there were no flights shown on that part of the sky. It reminded me of some chemtrail images I'd seen on the internet that claimed to be that of the super-secret Aurora project that is supposed to utilize a pulse detonation engine. I'm not a conspiracy guy, but I'd like to think our government is still developing top-secret planes that we, know, that we won't know about for years. I'm fascinated by the SR-71's amazing technology, performance, and story of human ingenuity. This is all my long-winded setup for asking what in the world do you believe would have created this type of pulsed contrail? I shot this photo about five minutes afterwards. Sorry. So the puffballs aren't as distinct as they were originally. It's all the more intriguing because it didn't show up as a flight in the ATC system. And 
with all the time you guys spend at 40,000 feet, do you ever see things 40 to 50,000 feet above you? If so, what have you seen? By the way, I'm not talking aliens. Again, I'm just fascinated with the development that goes on or into these amazing aviation technologies. Your long-lapsed GA pilot listener, Kevin in Portland, Oregon. Well, hey, Kevin, we haven't forgotten about you, and welcome back. Um, yeah, uh, in the picture here that we'll put in the show notes, uh, it does look a little suspicious. Now, the thing to, uh, that you have to think about as far as uh, the altitude, you know, once you get up into, out of the, the troposphere, and uh, you're up in the stratosphere, I don't think that you can actually, I don't think atmospheric conditions are, are right for uh, producing a contrail. I could be wrong about that. I'm not a scientist. But my understanding of how contrails are formed and the atmospheric conditions required to create them um, is that uh, it's got to be in the troposphere. Um, so, you know, airplanes flying, if we're at 40,000 feet and an airplane flying 40 to 50,000 feet above us, like let's say 80, 90,000 feet, uh, they're not going to, again, as, as far as I understand, not going to be putting out a contrail. So you're not going to be able to see them. <laughs> so, um, I mean, even if they're, if they're directly above you, uh, I just don't, unless you happen to be looking at the right place at the right time. Uh, so no, my answer is I've never seen anything. The only thing I've ever seen now that I'm thinking about it, I remember flying the 141 across the Atlantic and seeing Speedbird. And the only reason why I saw him was because of his contrail. And I think he was up around, I think the Speedbird was up around, what, 60, 65,000? So unless the troposphere that day was that high, uh, perhaps I'm wrong about all that. Maybe you can spin a contrail up, uh, up at higher altitudes in the stratosphere. I don't know. Maybe there's a meteorologist or a scientist out there that uh, is screaming at me right now saying, you don't know what you're talking about. And that person would be right. <laughs> so um don't know what else to say about the contrail thing, but I have seen the same pictures that you've seen, Kevin, on the Internet with the uh, the puffs, uh, co- the puff contrails and uh, the, uh, the theory that uh, associates it with the Aurora project. And I'm like you, I know for sure, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I certainly have a strong feeling that uh, our uh, military or scientific or whatever you call it, community, are out there, you know, making something, you know, better, greater than the SR-71. And I'm sure they've been working on it for years, and it's probably been flying out there for a while. And we won't know about it until uh, who knows when. And then we, when we do hear about it, just like all these other airplanes that are amazing, um, they'll tell us, oh yeah, we've been flying that thing around for the last 15 years or something. So um, I, I hope, like as you do, that uh, they are coming up with something cool and super high tech that we'll learn about in the future. And who knows, you may have snapped a picture of the contrail from this thing. Thank you, Kevin. Here's some good news, as opposed to all the horrible news of bad behavior of passengers, etc., aboard airplanes. Here's some video that was uh, taken on or in the cabin of an airplane recently. And as I said, it's a feel-good story. So it's going to be one of those where I'm going to play some, um, some video 
And again, if you're listening to the audio only, you'll hear the video or the audio of the video. But if you want to actually watch it, uh, you can click on the link in the show notes and uh, take a look yourself. Uh, this is the captain, and he's standing at the door, and he has the uh, the headset uh, that you have at the front of the uh, aircraft, and he is looking down the aisle of the airplane, uh, Southwest Airlines 737, addressing the passengers of the airplane. So that's the setup, and so let's start it again. Make one special announcement before we go. About 22 years ago, I retired from the United States Air Force, and I had the privilege of flying F-16s, both as a combat pilot and as a test pilot. And for the past 22 years, I've been flying with Southwest. And today is a special day. Ever since I started with Southwest, I've kept track of the passengers I've flown, and today I'm flying my one millionth passenger. And in honor of that, I have a bottle of champagne. I have an autographed copy of your boarding card from me. And in addition to that, I did a little bit of snooping, and I found out how much you paid for your ticket. So in an envelope, I have in cash the amount of money you paid for your ticket. And the lucky person is Miss Miriam Creek. It's Dr. Steph. I think Dr. Steph's on this Somebody looks like him. So he's walking back with a bottle of champagne. If you could just go ahead and ring your call light, Miriam. Oh, he knows, he knows where she is. If he knows how much she paid, <laughs> he knows which seat she's in. All right. She's handing the bottle of champagne to uh, Miriam and an envelope with the money that she paid for the ticket. All right. So uh, that is cool. So uh, thank you. Was it, uh, I think, uh, Dispatcher Mike um, asked if I'd seen this, or maybe somebody else did, uh, one of my Facebook friends. But uh, Dispatcher Mike did talk about it on his episode this morning. Um, now, the thing I'm wondering about is um, how many pilots out there actually keep track of the passengers they've flown? I've never even thought of doing that. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I don't even keep a logbook, so I don't even keep track of anything, but, um, yeah, uh, as, as Micah says, note that he's not slapping anyone. <laughs> the only thing he slapped was, uh, slapped that bottle of champagne to the, uh, the lucky passenger who was the millionth passenger. Again, I'm not sure exactly how I'm, I'm sure plus or minus a hundred, but, um, somebody else wrote in the comments here that, uh, not our comments, but the comments to this video on Facebook that, uh, Hey, I thought I was the only one that was keeping track of passengers. He keeps, keeps track of passengers that, uh, he's transported, uh, hours he's flown. Of course, everybody, well, most everybody does that. I don't, um, miles flown, uh, other data, like fuel burned, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And, uh, all I can say is I've been flying, for more than 28 and a half, 28 and a half years uh, for ACME and a little over seven for the Air Force. So uh, I have more than 20,000 hours of flying time. I guess I could do a rough guesstimate of how many passengers I've flown over the years, you know, based on an average number of passengers per flight and 
uh, all that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know. Good for him. I'm glad he kept track of all that data. That's cool. So, uh, again, I thought that might be something that you'd be interested in. And let's head back over here to my notes and see what else is here in the in the feedback folder. Um, looks like uh, Alex. Um, he says, hi, guys. Alex Stroud, yet again. I had a question that came to me from a very old episode. I'm currently listening to all the episodes. And in the mid-30s somewhere, Jeff mentioned that most pilots are the technical and scientific types, while creative types don't usually pursue a career in aviation. Uh, he also talks about being great at maths, but not so good with English. I am pretty much the polar opposite, very creative and did well in school in English, but I'm terrible with maths. Uh, I find it very hard to do advanced maths. I can do addition, subtraction, multiplication pretty well. Uh, with, uh, but more advanced stuff is beyond me, in my head with no effort like a lot of people seem to do. My question is, will this make it difficult or even impossible for me to pursue a career as an airline pilot? Uh, also, do you have any tips to help me improve my mathematic abilities? Cheers, and I wish you unlimited visibility, tailwinds and crews. Keep the blue side up, and God bless. Okay, um, so... As I mentioned earlier to uh, Medrods, I guess the first piece of feedback, um, while in my experience, most of the people that I fly with are more toward the uh, technical, practical, what would that be, left brain kind of types, um, that doesn't mean that there are right brain people, more uh, people that are more creative and maybe not so great at um the practical, you know, the mathematical, scientific kind of stuff. No, it's not a requirement. I'm just saying that that's, in my experience, that's what most of the people that I've flown with are. Uh, and again, you have to realize that most of the people that I've flown with also uh, were from a military back background. I don't know if that's a, a factor that changes the, um, the demographic or not. Uh, but uh, no, it's not. Uh, and many of us, even though I'm kind of technically practically minded i'm also uh, I, I do have some creative streaks uh, the podcast is one of those by the way it's one as an outlet for me uh, captain nick and others out there that uh, you know we we get a chance to be a little bit uh, creative and uh, exercise that part of our brain as well as um music you know i, I have this electronic keyboard behind me a digital piano and um, I'm a trumpet player and, um, I like listening to classical music and jazz and, uh, uh, I like, uh, watching and going to Broadway plays and opera even. <laughs> so, you know, we're all different. And, um, I was just trying to use a broad brush stroke when it came to, it seems that most of the people I fly with are a certain way, but you know, that might be wrong unless you really get to know a person you don't know for sure. Um, you know, you're, you're just looking at and gauging a person from their appearance and, uh, the very, you know, just below the surface level of information about them. And maybe once you get to know the people a little bit, then you realize, oh, I was completely wrong. Uh, this person is much more creative and, you know, fine arts, uh, centered than, uh, you know, the, the scientific, um, engineering kind of, uh, centric person. Um, 
I think I've mentioned this before on the show as well. It seems it seems odd to me that you, you would think that people that are in my business, my line of work, would be the kind of people that are into gadgets and, uh, and technology and uh, know their way around a computer and probably could get inside of a computer, take it apart, put it back together. Uh, they know how to do web pages and um, they, they know how to do some computer coding and that kind of thing. Uh, no. In fact, um, <laughs> a very large percentage, in fact, a striking percentage in my mind, of people that I fly with are just almost Luddites when it comes to technology. Um, I still fly with guys that, and yeah, if you're listening, if you're uh, this person, you know, that has a, a, like an old flip phone instead of a, a smartphone, there's nothing wrong with that. My wife has a flip phone. She refuses to get a smartphone because, well, she has her reasons, but um, you'd think that people would be like me, you know, and want the latest, greatest piece of technology and, you know, know uh, how to, you know, make their own website and, and all that kind of stuff. And no, it's not, I found quite the opposite, in fact. So I guess what I'm trying to say is <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that you find more of this kind of person than this kind of person in this career field. And maybe we're just like the general population and we all have about the same uh, democratic uh, demographic distribution as all other career fields. I don't know. So I'm not sure where to end, but uh, just say, no, you don't have to worry about as long as you know basic mathematics, you don't have to know how to um, uh, derive the area under a curve using calculus or something like that to be a pilot. You just have to uh, know how to multiply by three and divide by, you know, three. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> no, a little bit more to that, to it than that. But uh, I wouldn't worry, Alex. You'll be okay. Okay, that is the end of the feedback folder. This is about the number of feedbacks we get to in a normal show, and we're just right, at, just shy of the two-hour point here. So I'm going to go into the big feedback folder, which has more than 100 pieces of feedback still in it. <laughs> and if you're one of those people who sent in feedback months ago, I apologize. You know, again, we try to get to all of them, but uh, it's impossible. And uh, we try to pick the the best, uh, not best in quality, but best as far as what most people that listen to the show would be interested in hearing. And uh, sometimes people send in uh, questions that uh, have been answered before because they're new, newer listeners. And so we tend to kind of skip those pieces of feedback as well because, uh, you know, the folks that, who have been with us for quite some time are going to go, oh, no, not that same question again. Uh, so, and it's not your fault. I understand that. Um, you know, you can't, you can't start listening from episode number one. Well, I mean, some of you do, and those people, uh, have what we, uh, deem is the APG syndrome. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case. APG syndrome. No pills gonna kill my ear. I got a bad case. APG syndrome. And I know... APG syndrome can be contagious, but uh, not everybody suffers from it, and uh, we don't expect you to go all the way back to the beginning. This is episode 270, and uh, I'd say over the years, it probably averages out to about an hour and a half to two hours per episode, uh, so that's a lot of time, a lot of time out of your life to spend listening to these things, so 
I understand if you're asking a question that may have been asked before and that we don't want to tackle again. Um, just, you know, hopefully you'll understand that we're not going to be able to get to everybody's feedback. That's what I'm trying to say. <sighs> okay. Breathe, Jeff. Let's uh, go here and look at the big stack of stuff. And uh, let's see. A couple of these we already kind of addressed in the beginning of the show uh, in the news section and intro section. So I'm going to skip those. Um, let's see. Spencer says, uh, in regard to the guy that was kicked off using the restroom, have you ever had to kick a passenger off an airplane? And again, we don't have the whole crew here, just me. And uh, fortunately for me, I have yet to have to kick off a passenger, uh, kick a passenger off the airplane. But I will if it's necessary, if I think it's some kind of a security issue or whatever. But uh, And I've had a, t- a few times had to be a referee and talk with a passenger outside of, you know, I usually get them off the airplane, you know, just out the front door. So the whole cabin is not, you know, watching an, an audience, not because I'm afraid that it's going to be on, you know, social media or the, or the network news. It's because I think it's the right thing to do when you talk to a passenger. I'm sure that they're going to be embarrassed that they're involved in whatever the altercation or the situation is. So out of respect for that, I bring them off the airplane, talk to them, hear what they have to say, what their gripe is. I listen to uh, the cabin crew to see what's going on, what their perspective is and everything else. And I try to, you know, smooth all the ruffled feathers and see if we can come up with a positive solution. And uh, in every case that I've had to do that, it's worked out. Now, I'm sure that, um, you know, sometime in the future that may not work. And uh, I'll have to use my best judgment to determine what the best course of action is. So. Thank you, Spencer, for the question. Uh, Let's see. Ray, my neighbor to the north, he writes in. He says, oh, captain, my captain, uh, quoting Twitter's OTD 30 April 1966. Oh, on this day. Okay, there we go. Uh, On this day in 30, on the 30th of April, 1966, Air Force Flight Test Center Test pilot Colonel Joseph Cotton saved XB-70 Valkyrie No. 2 from destruction following an in-flight emergency in which landing gear, the landing gear failed to lower into position. He crawled to a relay box containing two malfunctioning terminals and short-circuited them. Short-circuited them. And then he puts in his editorial, I think they mean bridged, uh, with a paper clip whereupon the gear extended normally. Okay, so again... Relay box, he crawled down to it, two malfunctioning terminals, short-circuited them or bridged them with a paperclip, whereupon the gear extended normally. Okay, the journalist got a tad carried away here. Terminals are kind of dormant things. They don't really do anything. It was the switch logic module to which they were attached that didn't work. But as W.S. Gilbert said, I'm telling a terrible story, but it doesn't diminish my glory. cute. So when I'm sitting in my economy comfort seat with the extra leg room, but the seat pitch doesn't quite match the window spacing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. On the uh, hometown airline, yeah, some something goes slightly awry. I fully expect, I never read it, but I'm sure that the fine print on my ticket mandates it, that my captain arms himself with a paperclip, crawls into the elect- electronics bay, and fixes the problem. Dude, 
That's what that fourth stripe on your epaulette entails. No, it doesn't. <laughs> of course, that's if I'm on one of the hometown airlines, sturdy and valiant, Boeing or McDonnell Douglas. Don't get me started on Boeing's usurping of that fine Santa Monica company's name, aircraft. If it were one of the Toulouse spawn of aircraft, their FMC would probably send a 200 kilovolt spike to the terminals, melting the paperclip, killing the pilot, and effectively welding the undercarriage into their wheel wells just to prove the computer is really who's in control. Just saying. Ray Williams, Alfreda, Georgia. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. Always good to hear from you. And uh, can you tell that uh, Ray is one of those kind of engineering practical kind of guys. He knows a lot of this technology, knows when they're BSing us when it comes to uh, short-circuiting terminals. <laughs> Most of us would have not noticed, but, uh, but Ray does because he's an attention-to-detail kind of guy. Thank you, Ray. Always good to hear from you. Devin wrote in, uh, Devin McLean from Sacramento. You know, we talked about this crash out there um, in the Sacramento area of the U-2 uh, was one of the only two-seat U-2s remaining, I think, or maybe the second to last one. I'm not sure. Anyway, there was a training flight with a uh, a U-2. Uh, I think they call it something other than the U-2. But anyway, it's a U-2 that's a like a, a twin-seat trainer. And uh, they were doing some training. It crashed short of the runway. And uh, this article in the Sacramento Bee, the SacBee.com, uh, kind of talks about the fact that they've learned that it was um, the instructor pilot that uh, did something wrong with uh, his attempt to recover the airplane. It was not a mechanical error. It was a pilot error. And if you want to read um, all the details about that, I'll put that link in the show notes. You know what? I think I'm just going to get in trouble if I start trying to answer some of these questions that weren't really pointed uh, at me or for me. So what I'm going to do is going to, I'm going to end the show. That's all I'm going to do just a little over two hours. So this is a treat for those of you who are listening to episode number 270. It's a shorter show for a change. And, uh, next time we get together in this little community, we call the APG, uh, we're going to have most likely, uh, at least Captain Nick and I, we're, we're still trying to decide when we're going to get together and record the show at Pittsburgh, but he's going to be there getting in on Thursday. I'm getting in, as I mentioned, on Wednesday, and uh, we're thinking about recording a show before we record the live thing Saturday night, which is not going to be really a regular show at all. That's just kind of a kind of an extra thing that we do. Um, and it's possible that uh, Dr. Steph will be able to join us as well, hopefully. And, uh, unfortunately, Dana is, um, wow, Corona just wanted to make its presence known. Uh, unfortunately, Dana, it won't be able to make it, uh, because he had already uh, scheduled or booked a cruise. Aw. So he's going to be out there cruising, uh, the high seas somewhere and, uh, he won't be with us at Pittsburgh, but trust me, he really wishes that he could be there as well. So. Next time we do the show, it'll be at least Captain Nick and I, perhaps Dr. Steph, and uh, we'll tackle some of these pieces of feedback that uh, were kind of directed toward them, and they'll, they'd be better at answering than me. 
And uh, let's see. So, as we like to say, as the show winds down and you're hearing the music in the background, uh, if you want to learn more about the show, you can head over to the AirlinePilotGuy.com website. That's AirlinePilotGuy.com. There you'll find information about the uh, show, uh, both uh, video and audio, ways to listen, where you can find us, uh, how to send in feedback. Uh, you can find out about the crew, uh, our bios and such. Um, a lot of good information there. The APG store is there as well if you want to order a t-shirt or a, or a uh, uh, laptop sleeve or whatever with uh, the logo on it. Uh, also, uh, we have all kinds of stuff. Just check it out. Uh, the, the, the Coffee Fund, if you want to uh, kind of dabble in that and become part of the Coffee Fund cadre, information about there is uh, that is there as well. So uh, head over to that uh, wonderful site, airlinepilotguy.com. Uh, we are also on social media. Uh, Dr. Steph usually does this for us, but I can talk about it. We're on Twitter, at APG Crew. Uh, that will, uh, hit, we all five of us follow that. Um, and then we also individually have um, IDs on Twitter. I'm at Airline Pilot Guy. And we have uh, Old Pilot and uh, Dr. Steph Plummer, I think, or Dr. Steph Plum. I'm not sure. Uh, on the Twitters, and uh, we also have a web page. I mean, I'm sorry, a, a Facebook page, Airline Pilot Guy. So it's just Facebook.com/slash Airline Pilot Guy, and uh, we're also on Slack. And uh, Hillel is here to tell us how you can join us on that piece of social media. APG listeners, if you want to be part of our Slack team, please send an email address on Twitter. To me, Hillel, H-I-1-1-E-1. Over on Slack, we plan events, we plan meetups, we talk about the episodes, we gather feedback. If you want to be part of the team, send me a tweet. See you there. Thank you, Hillel. And uh, I'm going to see him there at Pittsburgh next week. He's flying in. And uh, let's see what else. We have apps, uh, both for the iOS and Android platform. Information about that can be found at AirlinePilotGuy.com. And you can look in uh, the show notes for this week's episode for more information about that. And uh, looking forward to seeing those of you who are able to make it to Pittsburgh next week. Uh, We're going to have a great time. And we'll do our best to record uh, as much as possible. I'm going to try to do as much streaming as possible. So again, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and there hopefully you'll be able to see some of the goings on of uh, the APG crew and part this a very small part of the APG community uh, while we're in Pittsburgh. So uh, that, that way we can kind of keep up with each other, keep connected. And uh, that's the, the beautiful thing about this uh, wonderful community. And until next week, Wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Good day.